Okay, if you would, please turn to the book of Galatians, chapter 2, and if you noticed up there, verse 15, but we're moving on all the way to verse 21, finally. Galatians 2, verses 15 through 21. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Since by the works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, then I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me and the life. I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if justification were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Let's pray. Father, I ask for the grace of a teacher that I be faithful to what Your servant, the Apostle Paul, wrote almost 2,000 years ago. That that is what will sing loudly and mercifully and with eyes open to us here this morning. Oh, help us see it. Believe it. And be able to say with Paul, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. Christ that resurrected man by the Spirit lives within me. Amen. Okay. Are we on? Just yes or no, baby. Is it still registering on the recorder? Thank you. Okay. Every genuine Christian who has come to saving faith in Jesus Christ is a new creature in Christ with a heart, affections, desires for God, for Jesus Christ. Their daily walk for the next 20, 40, 70, 80 years until they hit a coffin, that daily walk is a walk against other competing desires. You want to take the place of God and Christ. Called sin. That sin is defined in the law. In God's commands. And so here's the question. How does a Christian then already saved? As I have shown for five weeks, justified by faith alone, apart from any obedience to God's commands. Faith came alive. He justified me. He did the work. How does a Christian go on walking daily against the desires to disobey God's moral law and yet not be a legalist? That's the question. Paul answers that question at the end of this text. And since I spent five weeks on that central 
biblical doctrine of justification by faith alone, apart from any works of the law. Let's recapture the context for a moment. Paul, Barnabas, his missionary team, went into the region of Galatia, city after city, bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ to them that they've never heard. And many believed, and churches were set up, and after a two-year mission, he goes back to his home base in Antioch of Syria, and then word reaches him that Jewish Christians from Jerusalem went in behind Paul to these churches and started telling him, Paul got Jesus right. He is the promised Messiah. He died for sins on a cross. He was raised from the dead. But he didn't tell you, and he should have, but he left it out, that you need to add the works of the Mosaic Law to your faith in order to be saved. Paul is angry. And he sits down and he writes a letter to the churches in the region of Galatia. Then he gets to the place where we left off weeks ago. He tells the Galatians about something that happened years earlier in the city of Antioch, his home base church. It's a mixed church with Gentiles and Jews who have come to faith in Jesus. And the Apostle Peter came from Jerusalem and hung out there for months on end and taught, and he lived like a Gentile. He ate Gentile food. He didn't eat a kosher diet, along with all the other Jews who came to faith in Jesus. But then men came from James, or from Jerusalem, in the Jerusalem church. And when Peter saw they were in town, he feared. Feared what will happen when he gets back to Jerusalem if word gets out that he's eating bacon sandwiches with Gentiles. And that fear led to hypocrisy. And they watched Peter, other Christian Jews, and said, well, let's just eat with Peter. And then it became week after week where he would politely turn down invitations. Even Barnabas became hypocritical by re- starting to eat kosher diet. And Paul saw, you're walking out of step with the truth of the Gospel that you know, and not only that, do you not understand what that's doing to your brothers and sisters in Christ who are Gentiles who've come to faith? They're starting to think, are they second class citizens? Why don't you ever eat with them? Maybe if they took to themselves those laws in Moses, in Leviticus, about kosher diet, and started doing that and added that to their faith in Jesus, they would therefore be better off. And Paul saw that's an attack on the Gospel. So he calls a church-wide meeting. Not in homes, not big enough. Let's rent a hall. And he confronts the Apostle Peter publicly in front of the church. And that's just pick up in verse 14 of Galatians 2. I said to Cephas, that's Peter's Aramaic name, I said to Peter before all the church, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile, like you have been doing, and not like a Jew, but now since those men came from James, how can you, by implication, force the Gentiles to live like Jews. Peter, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. And yet, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. And so Peter, you and I both have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ. And not by kosher diet and other works of the law of Moses. Because by the works of the law, no human being will be made right with God, will be justified. His point, Peter, you and I are absolutely unified on our theology and our experience concerning the gospel of justification by faith alone. But your sin, fear leading to hypocrisy and others then following you in it, 
is walking out of sync with the truth of the Gospel. And it is implying to others, to non-Jewish Christians, that they must add those works of the law to be truly right with God. That's his point. Look at verse 15 again, briefly. You should add the word although there. Because see, verse 16 begins with the word yet or nevertheless. So that means verse 15 is a concessive clause. Meaning, even though this is true. So, Peter, even though you and I are Jews, we're born Jews, we're raised Jews, we are works of the law keeping Jews from birth. In other words, we are not Gentile sinners. Remember, he means sinners there in a very limited sense. He doesn't mean sinners in a sense where Paul knows every human being, Jew or Gentile, is born into sin and under God's condemnation. He doesn't mean it that way. He means you're a sinner if you move outside of the practice of Jewish cultural laws laid out in Moses. And you're not going to practice those? You're a Gentile Sinner. Peter, we were not Gentile sinners. We're works of the law keeping Jews. That's what we were by birth. That's what we were by practice. Nevertheless, verse 16, something Peter mercifully came into our lives. The truth of the gospel of Jesus. And it blew that deception away. That we could ever be made right with God by religion and religious practice. But faith alone in Christ alone to justify. And I spent five weeks unfolding that. Even we, Peter, you and I, works of the law keeping Jews, not Gentile sinners, realized we were deceived. Only Christ the Savior and faith in Him can justify. And so, up to this point in the passage, Paul is clear. He's saying the law of Moses could never be the means by which a sinner, that's all of us, could be justified, could be forgiven of their sins and made right with God. Only Christ, only what He did in His living perfect before God and in His sacrificial death and in His real historical bodily resurrection from the dead. Only Christ. And the only way, therefore, to be justified is to be united to Him through faith. Okay? There's verse 15, 16. Now look at your text. He's not done. What you see from verse 17 to 20 is now He goes on to argue for that, for justification, by faith alone. So, start with verse 17. But if in our endeavor, Peter, talking about Christian Jews here, you and I, if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, Peter, you and I both, were also found to be sinners... Is Christ then a servant of sin? Answer, no. May it never be. What is He doing here? I am convinced Paul is responding to an argument of his enemies. The Judaizers. Those Christian Jews coming behind Him. And their argument goes something like this. Here's Paul's doctrine. Paul was a non-Gentile sinner. Works of the law keeping Jew. A Pharisee of Pharisees. And then Paul comes to faith in Jesus Christ. And Paul claims that faith is what caused him to abandon the law of Moses concerning food. Circumcision. Washing. Festivals, new moons. That's what they say. And Paul, so Paul, this is what they're saying. You 
are causing faith in Christ to be the cause of you becoming a sinner. Because a sinner for them is, you don't obey Moses on those laws, you're a Gentile sinner. That's their argument. You, Paul, are making Jesus the cause of sin. So he says, but if in our endeavor, Peter, for you and me to be justified in Christ, we also, therefore, were found to be sinners, which they were. They're eating bacon sandwiches in Antioch. Is Christ then a servant of sin, cause of sin? His answer is no. So Paul admits, yes, I came to faith in Christ. I'm justified by faith alone. And yes, I abandon law-keeping as a way to be justified. That is, and that, I admit also, makes me a sinner in the sense of a Gentile sinner. It puts me on equal grounds with Gentiles who don't keep kosher law and all the other cultural entanglements that separated Jews from non-Jews. Paul puts himself in the same category and he admits it. He and Peter, he says, yes, we hold no allegiance to come under the law of Moses which defined God's chosen people historically, the Jews, apart from all the rest. He admits it. But he denies that this makes Christ an agent or cause of sin. Because to Paul, he has the mind of Christ. It is not sin to be a sinner in that sense. That's what he's saying. When you flip over a couple chapters to Galatians chapter 5, Paul argues there that it is not sin to abandon the Mosaic law of circumcision or kosher diet or festivals or new moon. In Jesus, in Mark's Gospel, do you remember when Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees as He normally did? He's so angry at the religious people. It is not what goes into your body like I don't eat shellfish but it's what comes out of your heart that defiles a man. And then Mark inserts, thus Jesus declared all foods clean, acceptable to eat. He abolished kosher diet as a requirement. And so Paul says in Galatians 5.6, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision that Moses commanded, counts for anything but only faith Christ alone which works itself out in loving other people. And so Paul at this point now has been clear. He has said in order to be saved from your sin, to be made right with God, to be declared righteous not because of anything you do but because of Jesus' life. Because justification there is not based on and had never been based on keeping the law of Moses. But it's always been based on faith alone. David, a thousand years earlier, a thousand years before Jesus was born, understood this. Listen to him. He knows, he doesn't really know how it's going to happen, but he knows he is absolutely dependent on God's mercy. So, look at verse 18 now. And notice that verse 18 is an argument for what he just said in verse 17. See, verse 18 begins with the word for, means because. So let's start again with verse 17 and feel the flow. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we also were found to be like Gentile sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? 
Certainly not. Why, Paul? Because if I rebuild what I tore down, then I prove myself to be a transgressor. This is Paul's strong rejection to the argument of the Judaizers in verse 17. Does Christ become a servant or an agent or cause of sin? Answer, no. In fact, reality is just the opposite of that. That's his argument. He says, I, in coming to Christ, tore down works of the law in order to be justified by faith in Jesus Christ, who is my righteousness, He is my forgiveness, not any of my obedience. I ripped it down. I gave up my trusting in my own obedience to the law of Moses as a way to get right with God. And if I go back and reestablish that building now in my life, then I'm transgressing God. Then I'm a transgressor of the intended meaning of the law. You see it yet. Two people, good. If I rebuild that structure of law-keeping, then I transgress God. I transgress the meaning of the law. Notice the words, if I rebuild what I tore down. Now, that word what, in the original, it's literally, if I rebuild which things I tore down. In context, he has to be meaning the regulations in the law of Moses that tended to separate Jews from Gentiles. He says, if I re-erect those, then I am sinning. Then I'm a transgressor. Why don't you just flip over about two pages to Paul's letter to the Ephesians for a second and listen to how Paul says it there. See, some of you have Bibles. You who don't get Bibles. Chapter 2, verses 14 to 16. For Jesus Himself is our peace, who has made us both. Okay. Context is this. Jews and Gentiles. If you're not sure about those terms, they're up to Christ. There are only two peoples in the world. There's Jews, and then there's everybody else called Gentiles. And Paul says, Jesus Himself is our peace who has made both Jew and Gentile one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility. How did He do it? By abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances that He, Jesus, might create in Himself one new man in place of the two, Jew and Gentile, and thus making Peace. He might reconcile us both to God in one body, His body, through the cross, thereby killing the hostility that existed between Jews and Gentiles. That's the goods that Jesus directly gave to Paul in numerous resurrections. Appearances. That's the goods that Paul sees all over the Hebrew Scripture as he unfolds them in his preaching. And so he's saying, 
that you transgress the law of God. You, you come to Christ by faith, and you try to erect the law as a, a this is cultural Jewish laws as a structure and as a way to gain your entrance of acceptability to God. You are sinning greatly by doing so. That's what he says up to verse 18. I want to pause and I just want to make sure we get what he has said so far. So picture this way. Here's Paul, right? He's raised a Jew. He's actually been very gifted intellectually and his parents see it and the Jewish rabbis see it and he has ends up with an equivalent of what is today a Ph.D. in biblical studies. He studied under one of the great first century rabbis in Jerusalem, Gamaliel. And then, and he's never met Jesus, and then these people start preaching that this Christ whom you crucified was literally and bodily raised from the dead and, and appeared to us over a period of 40 years. And they keep preaching this, and, and all these Jews, thousands of Jews in Jerusalem are coming to faith, and Paul is angry. Paul knows the Jewish leadership. Many of them in the Sanhedrin, the 70, he knows the high priest personally, and they love Paul because Paul was willing to kill these Christians. Paul was willing to drag them into religious jail cells of the temple. And he did so month on end. Paul loved to argue with them. He got papers. Okay, Jerusalem's enough. I want to go way up to the city of Damascus and see which Jews up there are coming to faith in Jesus so he can drag them back to Jerusalem in a jail cell. That's who we're talking about. That's who Paul is. And then what happens? A miracle changed his heart, saw the truth of the Gospel, and he believed. New life, new faith. Christ is my salvation. Not what he used to trust in. My own righteousness from the law. Okay, then what does he do? He obeys Jesus and he goes to the Gentiles. And he preaches the good news of Jesus Christ, the only way to God. He preaches that good news saying to Jew or to Gentile, Christ Jesus alone saves. Don't you ever, ever think that God's written commandments through Moses are the way for you to be saved or justified. They aren't. You mu they point out your sin. They're clear. They help you see your sin. But they can't save you. And now with the message of Jesus, you must turn from your sin. You must repent. You must believe in order to get into Christ. Analogy. Peter uses the analogy. Judgment's coming. It's going to rain. Build an ark, Noah. And the only way to be saved from sure death in the flood was to be in the ark. And so Paul preaches, Jesus is the ark. You must get into Him and there's only one way. Through a heart of faith that springs from a miracle of new birth. That's the only way to be justified and to receive the free gift of eternal life. That's what he preaches. And he had his enemies, not only without the church, the Jews in every city, but he had his enemies within the church. Many Jewish Christians who thought, Paul, by just saying it that way, and that's it, you are nullifying the law of Moses. And if you remember a few weeks back, as we were in Romans chapter 3, where he's laying out justification by faith alone. Trust in Jesus alone. At the very last verse of chapter 3, because he, he's got his critics then. Do we then nullify the law through preaching faith in Jesus? His answer, no. 
On the contrary, we establish the law. What I tried to show a few weeks ago, so just in short, that Paul was saying, the law of Moses, it came and it said, here's right, here's wrong. All over the place. And it said, obey. But at the core of the law to God's people was never obey as an unregenerate, meaning you're all, we are all born as sinners. He'd never meant obey as a person who in the core of your soul you are dead to that one true God. You hate that one true God, even in your religiosity. He never said, obey, in order that you may seek to be justified. That was not what the law of Moses ever taught. That's why Abraham is the example that Paul gives. Abraham, God gave him a promise that was impossible to believe unless God acted upon his heart. And then the text in Genesis 15.6 says, Abraham believed God. And it was credited to him as righteousness. And Paul argues, do you see? Was Abraham justified? After the law? After obedience? Absolutely not. In Galatians, he will go on to argue. Abraham was justified, and then it was 430 years later that God gave the law, proving the law was never sent to justify people. But it always meant this. Now, Abraham, or Moses, or Caleb, or David, or Jeremiah, or Paul, as a justified person in Christ, and empowered by the Holy Spirit, go on in an obedience of a heart of faith to God's moral law. Because since Christ, the cultural and ceremonial law has been nullified. It's going to be an interesting conversation at home group, maybe. Okay. This, what I have said, is the flow of Paul's letter to the Romans. And so I'm just going to do it again. Look at Romans 6. Hear him. He's laid out for five chapters the essence of Christianity. You cannot save yourself. There's nothing you can do to save yourself. The Gospel comes, Christ died for sins, meaning God poured out His justice and His wrath against His own Son in your place, if you believe. And God proved it by raising Him from the dead. The only thing you can do is hold out your hand and receive it with art of faith. So Paul preached. It is by grace alone, through Christ alone, through faith alone comes to chapter 6. What shall we say then? Are we to, as Christians, continue in sin so that grace may abound? Answer, by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Paul had many enemies. He had his critics in his own day. Paul, you nullify the law. No, I don't. In fact, I establish the true meaning of the law. Paul, you teach justification for our sake, slash, salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, apart from any obedience to the law. So Paul, what you're really saying is it doesn't matter how we live. Whether we go on sinning, stealing, purposely hurting, slandering other people, living in sexual sin or adultery, it ultimately doesn't really matter. That's what you're preaching, Paul. 
You're a Christian, just find faith. So whether you in any way have a life that is on a pathway in line with the Ten Commandments is irrelevant. Paul says to people, Christians, professing Christians or not, that say that about his teaching, he says, your condemnation is just. And he says, I don't teach that at all. The problem is, you don't understand the power of grace to those who are already justified. That's Romans. That's Paul. That's Jesus. That's David. Jump down a few verses to verse 14 of Romans 6. He goes on to say, listen to what he says, for sin, listen to him now, he's talking here to Christians. For sin will have no dominion over you. Since, meaning here, because you are not under law, but you are under grace. Look at it. Read it. Think through it. You got His logic? If you don't see it, read it backwards. Here's Paul's argument. Because he doesn't believe, as, as we try to lay out in here, this stuff. I ask Jesus in your heart and you're okay. But I don't know if you are or not. If you know Him, it's a miracle. And you, your life is changed from the inside out. Paul knows the power of grace. And this is what he argues. You justify. And because you are not under the law, this, these, these external lists of how to live, but you're in union with Christ. Because of the power of grace, now go backwards, therefore what? Therefore sin will not have dominion over you. That's Christianity. To Paul. What then? Are we, he goes on, to sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? Again, by no means, you, ain't, you don't get it if you think that. Flip over to chapter 13 for a moment of Romans. Paul writes to us who are believers, Owe no one anything except, oh, you do own this. Well, here, guess what? It looks like a command to me. So here's his command to love each other. And then he argues for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. He didn't say you fulfilled the law of circumcision there or of kosher diet, but he makes it clear because he, he lays out a number of the Ten Commandments, moral law here, which are were wrong for everybody by definition. He, he says, he who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, and then here, you shall not commit adultery, Got to be careful not to sit on each one and this will be a four-hour sermon. No, no, no. I'm in love. I fell out of love with my husband or with my wife. And I'm in love. It's love having sex with that other person. Not biblically. He says, you are. It's one thing, you know what, to commit your own sin sexually. When you bring another human being into it, you are profoundly vicious and unloving. Paul says when you keep, when you love people, you don't commit adultery. Okay, so I'm sorry. The commandments, you should not commit adultery, you should not murder, you should not steal, you should not covet. And any other commandment, they're summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. 
Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. That's what he says to Christians. Flip back to chapter 7 of Romans. Paul writes, Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ. Yes, we're dead to the law. Why? So that you may belong to another. To Jesus, who has been raised from the dead. Why? In order that we may bear fruit for God. Now, just read on a little bit. Listen to what he says. For, and I'm, as I read, I'm, just going, I'm going to interpret, I'm just going to say in different words exactly what he means. For while we were living in the flesh, what does he mean? He means before we were born again. Before the Holy Spirit changed our heart and brought saving faith and raised us spiritually from the dead, when we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions were aroused by the law of Moses, the commands of God through Moses. And they were at work in our members and how we lived and did life. For what? They bore fruit. And this is true of all religious people outside Christ. They bore fruit for death. But, now, now what? That you have been born again, that you have come to saving faith in Christ and been justified, now we are released from the law. Having what? Died to that which, listen to these words, held us captive and prisoner. You saw last week, that's all the law could do can't save you, can't give you life. It can only imprison you and shut you up and condemn you. Period. And that's captivity. And we're dead to that law like that. Why? So that. See that word? So that. We now what? Serve. Not under the old written code that you plaster on your refrigerator. Oh yeah. Do this and do that. But no, we serve in the new life of the Spirit. So, Paul says, I was the religious of the religious. Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law of Pharisee. As to zeal, I was so into my works of the law, I became a persecutor of the church. That was his life. And then he got saved came to faith in Christ and met Him. And he tore down the law as what? As what He just said there. As God's demands and God's just curse upon Him of condemnation as an unregenerate man who had no real affection and faith for the one true God in his pre-Christ life. Paul says we have died Christian, you have died to being in relation to the law of Moses in the sense that it stands over there. Okay, Jesus, thank you. I am Christian. And you walk over there and you look at the list. Don't do that. Yeah, but I really love that. Well, I guess I shouldn't do it because I'm a great... No, no, no. That's not Christianity. You've died to that law in order that you may live to God, in order that you may be united to another, in order that you may live in the new life of the Spirit. He tore down the old. He will not reconstruct it. One more. I want you to flip to Romans 8. So Paul says in Romans 8, verse 1, after laying out the utter mercy and grace of God through Jesus Christ, he saves alone. There is therefore now no condemnation. That's a legal term. Judgment day is coming. 
If you're in the ark, if you're in Christ, condemnation, which you deserve, is gone in Christ. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in the ark. Christ Jesus. And he goes on to explain. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Did you notice Paul used law twice? And did you notice he has two different meanings on how God's moral commands come to you? The idea that you're ever under the law Christian, as a person who needs to act in such a way to get yourself in good standing with God, because if you don't, condemnation is going to lay on you, you are not under law. We've got to fix this thing. You're not under law like that. If you know Him, that's all taken care of. Watch what He says. He explains it. For God has done what the law could not do. God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, that means our own sinful nature, as unregenerate, unborn again people, could not do. What does He mean? By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned your sin in the flesh. It's gone. That's why there's no condemnation. That's why you never approach the law in order to get things right between you and God. If you do, you deny Christ. And you deny His work. But did you notice Paul didn't put a period yet? He puts a purpose clause this is not in order to get justified. He's already said condemnation is gone. So as a justified per- person, he says there's a purpose that God's working out in every one of those persons' lives. And it's the evidence of their union with Christ. You see verse 4? In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk, live, not according to our sinful nature, the flesh, but according to the Holy Spirit. That's Paul's idea of how God is working out a different life in those who have come to saving faith in Jesus Christ and are justified. But my friends say they're Christians. They're raised in the church. They accepted Jesus. Yes, they live and sleep and have sex with persons who they are not married to but they say, I'm a Christian. There's just one question to ask them. Are you sure? Because this same Paul, in 2 Corinthians, says to all of us Christians, put this on your refrigerator, test yourself to see whether you are in the faith. He didn't say do anything in order to get saved. That's one of the reasons. Let me see if I'm right. But see, I guess not. (laughs) See if you're in Paul saying, we will not go back 
to the law as a taskmaster of those who are looking to get right with God because it was never meant to be that way and you could never do it. God sent His Son to do it for you. He was the goal and the purpose of the law and He fulfilled in His humanity perfect righteousness on behalf of all who will have Him. Hear what I said in the last 14 minutes? Yeah? Okay, grab that now, okay? I jumped ahead in our text. So, I put it before instead of after. Everything I just said there in the last 14 minutes and roamed through Romans is what Paul means by verse 19 of Galatians chapter 2. Verse 19 is the reason that verse 18 is true, so let's read them again together. Verse 18. For if I rebuild this whole structure, that thing I tore down, works of the law, then I prove myself to be a transgressor. Why is that true, Paul? Because through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. A saved person, a person who has come into a personal, intimate supernatural relationship with Jesus Christ dies to law-keeping as a way to eternal life. As a way to be justified. They die to it in order to live to God the Father. In order to belong to another. To Christ Jesus. And now what do they do? They live daily by the Holy Spirit, who is doing something in their desires, in their affections, through fellowship in the local church, through preaching, through the Word of God, through their prayer life. He is working in them that which is pleasing in their sight. It is the fruit, not of the flesh, but the fruit of the Spirit. If you must die in order to be in union with Christ, which Paul teaches, then if you go on from there and erect again some type of a system of works of the law, instead of live your life based upon an intimate, prayerful, Bible-saturated intimacy with Jesus Himself, then you are a transgressor. The New Testament scholar in his commentary on Galatians, Douglas Moo, summarizes it, I think, very well. Quote, I would be a transgressor if I rebuilt the authority of the law because I am in a totally new relationship to the law. I have experienced a reorientation of values so radical that it can only be compared to death and new life. I have died to the law and I live to God. This extraordinary transformation comes through identification with Christ's own death. And that's why the very next words Paul has in our text are this. I have been crucified with Christ. I died to the law through the law. Just one shot at what does he mean? This is, it's a difficult one, but I think at the core he means this. When new birth happened, when my eyes were opened to see the beauty of the gospel, the glory of Christ, by definition, I saw how ugly my sin is. The law was really used to see how depraved I was. I saw my just condemnation. The law did me personally no good. It couldn't bring me new life. And I came to understand that through Jesus and through I must die to the law. That's how through the law I died to it. And then, verse 20, Galatians 2, Paul says, let me unpack 
This is bold. Let me unpack what Pastor Joe said the last 45 minutes. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Can you watch? In the life I, oh, he talks about himself still. He is alive. He doesn't mean he was obliterated. But something's new. In the life I, Paul, now live in the flesh, in the body, down here. I live by trust, faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I died to lists of commandments. I'm in union with Jesus Christ. He's my focus. I'm in communion with Him daily. I don't have a list that I look to externally. I'm in union with the Commander in order that I may bear the fruit of loving others. Oh, and by the way, that is the fulfilling of the law, Paul says. And those two, the list in union with Christ, are utterly different. Right there, verse 20, is the answer to the question I opened this sermon with, which I repeat. Every genuine Christian means they've been brought from new life miraculously. Their eyes and the eyes of their heart have been opened to the truth of the message of Jesus Christ. Every single one of them has had a heart transplant, a heart for God, a heart for Jesus. And then the rest of their life, their daily walk is a walk against other competing desires for sin, which are laid out in God's commandments in the law. So the question was, how does a Christian who's already saved, already justified in Christ, Live this life. How do we walk this walk daily against the desires to disobey God's moral commands and not be a legalist? And I said, Paul answers it at the end. And it's verse 20. I no longer live. The old, dead, in sin, and dead to God, Sin nature, I, has been replaced by the spiritually resurrected I. By the new birth, I. By the alive to God, I. The I that is united to Christ. 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 Not dead, outward obedience to a list. And finally, I, Paul, saying this to you, Galatians, do not nullify the grace of God. Because if Justification came through our obedience to the law of Moses. Then Christ died for no purpose. Christ died in order to save sinners. Ugly, God-belittling, 
God-denying sinners. He did it by living the law perfectly in our place and suffering the wrath of God against Him on a cross so that any human being who would accept Him and believe the truth of that will be saved by their faith alone. And so believer, placard the reality that you're saved by pursuing Christ intimately and daily in all that you do. Father, as Paul himself would confess in Philippians, not that I have attained this, not that I have arrived, and not that I am sinless, but I press on to the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, that I may know Him more and more and more and know the power of his resurrection.